0: chapter 12, uh, verse 2. That's on page 1,126 of your Pew Bibles. I'll I'll read verse 1, but our focus will be on verse 2. Hear now the words of the living God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I pray, Father, that Christ, the Holy Spirit would be with us now, and that you would help us, Lord, to be a people who are committed to the renewal of our minds, and that we would not be swept away by the currents of this world. Help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a growing nervousness in many American churches today. Um, There's nervousness about scandals among celebrity preachers or an increasing division regarding sexuality and race, or a nervousness about the antagonism of the world against the Christian worldview. And among many church leaders, there's a sense of nervousness about this idea called The Rise of the Nuns. Shauna and I, we live near the Felician Convent Sisters. But when I say Rise of the Nuns, I don't mean N-U-N-S, Nuns. I mean N-O-N-E-S, Nuns. Rise of the Nuns. The Pew Research Center uh, indicated a seven-point drop in surveys in which young adults who would normally select Protestant, or Catholic, or evangelical, these young adults would now select a box that reads, none. There's a rise of the nuns in our culture. And the big question is, why is that? Why are so many young people, and even older folks, Being swept away into this post Christian secular culture. How is this happening? And according to Paul, at least one possible reason conformity to the world happens is not because the church is being irrelevant, it's not because there is a lack of programs. Paul says here it's because of a failure of the renewal of our minds. When we are not transformed by the renewal of our minds, the church inevitably conforms to the world. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to be conformed to this world, to this age? And what does it mean to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. So we kind of have to re-familiarize ourselves with this category of the world. It used to be familiar, but it has been so trivialized that it's been trivialized out of existence. So in the past, being worldly was reduced to behavioral taboos. Like don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't go watch secular movies, uh, don't dress a certain way. Um, Don't listen to rock and roll. So there's a lot of this idea where the world was reduced to behavioral taboos. And of course, behavior is important. But the idea of worldliness became so trivial, so external, that we overlooked what worldliness really means. And now I think we're in a desperate need of recovering this idea, this category of the world. So look at, here's Paul in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. So why does Paul add, don't be conformed to this world? The implication is that there is another world. Or to be more precise, in the Greek, it's aeon. That's familiar to us. It's age. Paul's saying, don't be conformed to this age. And the implication is that there is another age. So in Paul's theological framework, all of world history is divided according to two ages. There's only two ages in Paul's mind. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says, Christ is seated above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So there is this age to come, Christ's second coming, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, the new heavens and the new earth, and then there's this present age, which is everything before that. And the reason why some translations like to render this world instead of age, is because with Paul, these ages aren't just time periods. These ages are self contained, complete systems of life. Each age has its own way of living, its own culture, its own jargon, its own standards and values, its own significant people and events. Each age has a self-contained system of thinking and acting so then Paul can use the word world or realm or domain instead of age. And the assumption in this verse is that as you as a Christian, you who are united to Christ, you do not belong to this age. Listen to Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So we have been decisively separated from this present age. We have been transferred to to the age to come. We, are, we, we have our citizenship in heaven. We are part of this new creation environment. In other words, the standards and values of this present age is no longer determinative for us. Our life no longer belongs within or is defined by what is only in this life only. We are to live in the context of the age to come. We are to live according to our heavenly culture. But the problem is, while we have been identified with this glorified future age, we still live and inhabit the present age, this present world. So there's this constant tension in us. The two ages exist in you, we inhabit two ages. The already and the not yet is in you. So then the reality of the new age to come exists already internally. But externally, we still live in the present world with its fallen conditions, with Satan, sin, and death. Meaning we live as new creatures in the old creation, which is right now. We're like heavenly foreigners living we're like heavenly foreigners in this age to come living under the influence of this present world. We're like citizens of the future who are pilgrims passing through this present fading age. So there is this the idea then is this there's this constant tension in our lives. We are incessantly vulnerable to assimilating our dialect, our values, our standards, our priorities, our identity, our worldview according to this world. This place is not a neutral place. This world is constantly trying to squeeze you into its mold. And Paul is saying, don't let it squeeze you. There's so many plastic bagged Christians who are just floating around in the air, just drifting along with the world. And Paul is saying, don't be like that. Be like an eagle who can cut through the air currents of this age. He's saying, do not conform So then the question is, how exactly does this world squeeze us? What does it mean to conform to this world? What does that mean? If it's not behavioral taboos, then what is it? Well, notice that Paul says the solution is the renewal of our minds. So, then the problem is the non renewal of our minds. We can call it the deformation of our minds. And the idea is that worldliness is not, firstly, in behavioral taboos, it's actually far worse. Worldliness is embracing deformed mindsets and patterns of thinking. So in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul says, he's speaking about the world. He says, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Or 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And then 1 Peter 1.14 Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So you see this mind talk. The idea is that worldliness is firstly embracing a faulty, deformed mindset, a worldview. So let me give you two examples of how this creeps into the church. The first one is called naturalism. I spoke about that not too long ago. This is a big one, I think. Naturalism. The primary worldview of this world is that there is no other world, there is no realm that is beyond, there is no heaven, there is no hell. The primary mindset of this age is that there is no age to come, there is no eternity. So, with so within uh, within the, this world, the mindset of this world functions, loves, plans, dreams, and visions, discusses only within the confines of and with re- and, and with reference to only what is in this world. Only it's called naturalism. There is nothing beyond. Everything is just this physical material. Naturalism makes this world a self-contained system for life, a self-sufficient system for obtaining blessing apart from God. So here's John Murray. John John Murray says, conformity to this age is to be wrapped up in the things that are temporal, to have all our thought oriented to that which is seen and temporal. It is to be a time server. If all our calculations, plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then we are children of this age. And one way this manifests practically in our lives is what Andrew Fellows calls the chronic loss of spiritual reality. We carry around these these supernatural spiritual truths in our mind. But in experience, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't believe it's there at all. It's not really real to us. We have it in our minds, but in experience, it feels like there's nothing there. We function as naturalists. We may say there, there are occasions where God miraculously intervenes but for the rest of our our lives the day-to-day the mundane everything feels flattened everything just feels natural and stale and we've lost what this what gk chesterton called the secret of the whole world i love what he says he says shall i tell you the secret of the whole world It is that we have only known the back of the world. We see everything from behind, and it looks brutal. That is not a tree, but the back of a tree. That is not a cloud, but the back of the cloud. Can you not see that everything is stooping and hiding a face if we could only get round in front? There's this loss of spiritual reality. I remember in... uh, The summer of 2020, I was transitioning. I was I was still working at Moody, so I was I worked public safety at Moody Bible Institute, and there was practically no one there because one, it was summer, and none of the students were around, and it was during the COVID lockdown, so there was practically no one. And I would walk around uh, the campus, and I was walking in the Sweeting Building, uh, and it was completely empty. Except for this one room, it was an office, and the light was on. So I walked to this room, and behold, it was my Greek professor, Dr. Sauer. And I say, hey, Dr. Sauer, it looks like you're, you're here all by yourself. And then without even skipping a beat, he turns around, he looks me dead in the eye, almost like a quasi-rebuke. He says, no, I'm not. The Holy Spirit is with me. So I saw the back of this empty building, this flattened world. And he saw something there that I couldn't see. He had this sense of supernatural reality. So that's really one of the fallouts of naturalism, and the result of naturalism is a second idea. It's called egoism. And when I mean egoism, it's, you can think of man-centeredness or anthropocentrism or maybe even individualism. Since this age does not see God intervene in history, the ultimate arbiter of truth, beauty, goodness, is man this is why paul if you look at this verse he says the will of god is good acceptable and perfect why would he have to add that it's a little bit redundant paul he adds it because the greek philosophical goal was to determine what was good what was acceptable and perfect but based on philosophy and paul is here saying natural human reason cannot know that independently from God. But in our secular egoist culture, the good and acceptable and perfect is discerned not through God's will, is it? It's discerned through my will. I mean, you can can just look at all the Disney films. It's just full of it. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it, but just be aware that it's full of things like believe, in yourself discover who you are trust in yourself be who you truly are i decide who i am i decide what my ultimate goal is in life and i decide how to do it our culture is organized around this idea where the self substitutes god And I think, granted, this self-centered idea is not explicit in churches, but it shows up. It creeps in through what is called a technique or formula-driven, how-to-focused church. Because if faith has little to do with contact with divine, spiritual, supernatural reality... If there's nothing to do with the supernatural, then what is God there for? God is there for just to be a means to our own worldly present age ends. God becomes a power source to achieve my goals in the present. God becomes this form of therapy for my wellness. So there's this obsession with self. And I was I looked at this yesterday. It was on Amazon. I decided to just look at the top three best-selling Christian books from Amazon.com. It may be different today, uh, but yesterday, there was these three books, the top three. I've never read the books, so I don't know if they may be excellent. I'm not saying that the authors are heretical. I'm not even saying you shouldn't read how-to books. But I am saying that one manifestation of egoism, man-centeredness, is at least how these books are titled and marketed. Marketed, They represent this fixation of man-centered how-to formula. So listen to these, these three books, the top one. Notice how often they say you. The top book is called Winning the War in Your Mind. Practical strategies that will free you from the grip of harmful, destructive thinking and enable you to live the life of joy and peace that God intends you to live. Number two, undistracted. Capture your purpose, rediscover your joy. Number three, Decluttering at the speed of life, winning your never-ending battle with stuff. So there's nothing here about beholding and seeing God. This is all about you and what God does for you. And this is selling. This is at the top of Amazon. Amazon. My point is that no matter how many truths we affirm, we are constantly vulnerable to thinking like the world. Another example of maybe how this naturalistic, egocentric worldview worldview shows itself was in a 2005 study by Christian Smith uh, in his National Study of Youth and Religion. So he found that faith held and described by the vast majority of adolescents was reduced to this idea of moral, therapeutic deism. So moral meaning God just wants me to be good and polite. That's what Christianity is. God wants me to be respectable, uh, to focus on self-improvement, to be kind. And then the Therapeutic means God should care mostly about how I feel. The main priority is that God should help me feel good about myself. And then deism means we can decorate God with our lives, but he's not a personal agent actually involved. He's not involved in my life affairs. He's just out there. So, there's this moralistic, therapeutic deism. And the problem is, that's a mockery of biblical Christianity. No assertions about the realm beyond us, nothing about beholding the glory of Christ, no language about transcendence and divine activity. This is an entirely man-centered, naturalistic, secularized God. Yet this is how the vast majority of young adult Christians understand God. And we wonder why there's a rise of the nuns. So then, what should be the response to this conformity, this worldly mindset? Paul says it must be nothing less than transformation. It's the same word uh, that Mark and Matthew Matthew used to describe Jesus' transfiguration. Metamorphosis is how it's described in the Greek. So just as Christ's external transfiguration revealed that heaven has entered into earth, that the world to come has pressed in into this present world, so too is this transformation otherworldly. To be transformed then is to cause a great disturbance in this age. It interrupts and upsets the polite status quo of this age. When we are transformed, the new creation projects itself into the old creation. But we have to be clear. Unlike Christ's transfiguration, ours is not external. Our faces don't shine like the sun. Our clothes don't turn white and radiant like light. Our transfiguration occurs internally He says, by the renewal, not of our bodies, but the renewal of our minds. So we represent the age to come. We are ambassadors of a heavenly world, not by changing how we look externally. It's through how we think and see the world. The only preservative against outward conformity to the present age is not reliance upon a list of ethical commands. It's far more revolutionary than that. It's a renewal at the center of your consciousness. It's at the core of your practical reason. It's it's your basic sensitivities and perceptiveness about this life. It's at the subterranean level of how you think and see this world renewal is not firstly adhering to superficial behavioral codes but by adhering to a new way of thinking then quickly how do we get how do we get this new way of thinking paul doesn't answer that here he when he says that we have to do it he doesn't say how um there are three other places he, he clarifies. Let me just read these verses to you. How do we renew our minds exactly? Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So the same word, beholding the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another so we're transformed by seeing by beholding by relishing by seeing the glory of the lord okay second corinthians 4 4 the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers this is what he does, the God of this world, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan does everything he can to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So then where do we go to see and behold Christ? If Renewing our minds occurs by seeing and beholding Christ. How does that happen? Here's another verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Listen to how much of the mind talk is here. Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now listen closely, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus and to be renewed, okay, renewed, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So then we are transformed we're transformed by beholding the glory of Christ. And we behold Christ by hearing about Christ, by being taught Christ, by learning Christ. And as we learned in last week from Luke 24, we go to see Christ predominantly in the word and in the sacraments. The border crossing between this world and heaven between this age and the age to come, is located at the word. Uh, Karl Barth, he's a theologian, a German theologian, he says, Scripture opens portals of a new world, giving us not human standpoints, but the standpoint of God. So this is how we come in contact with the age to come with new creation. We come in contact. Our minds are transported out of the old atmosphere of this age when our minds are set on things above, where Christ is. The more we expose the eyes of our minds to Christ, the more the Holy Spirit applies this to our hearts, the more we are counterformed to his image. And how desperately we need to be counterformed. We are immersed in this culture. And I only get 40 minutes to show Christ. The church only has three hours, three hours once a week on a Sunday to show Christ, to counter catechize the self focused naturalistic worldview culture that we breathe in every day that's all we get but my hope is that for us beacon light we wouldn't be plastic bad christians just floating around but that we would be a people who would cause a great disturbance in this age Harry, Harry Blamires, let me read this quote. He says, Amid all this ferment of social and pastoral activity, of ethical and spiritual exhortation, the mind of modern man is no longer cultivated. The Christian mind is too provocative, too dangerous, too revolutionary perhaps, If nourished, if fed fat on the milk of the word, it will perhaps collide so violently with a secular mind which dominates our comfortable and complacent setup that we Christians shall find ourselves mentally at least persecuted again. We need people who are committed to cultivating this provocative, revolutionary Christian mind. How valuable, how threatening to the complacency of this world are Sunday school teachers? How significant, how world-changing is it when a, a parent raises their children in the Lord? Like, how potent, how powerful is it for this world, when we grow in biblical literacy, it's massive. We need people to be committed to teaching and committed to being taught. Why? So that we can be more educated, so that we can have little tidbits of Theological trivia we do it because we want to open our minds to the new world that we would have a taste of this heavenly realm that we would that we would behold the glory of Christ, that we would be so immersed in this heavenly culture, this heavenly world, so naturalized and familiarized, so transformed. Transformed by the renewal of our minds, that this world and this age becomes increasingly strange and unthinkable. Let's be a people committed to the renewal of our minds. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are deeply concerned, dear Lord, that the idea of the world has been trivialized. We no longer understand it as something that is deep and pervasive. We no longer see it in the advertisements, in the billboards, in the malls, in the television shows, in the architecture, in the art. We're just blind to it, Lord. We think that it's just not doing certain social faux pas, whatever it is, Lord. I pray, God, that we would have a deep sense of the world's influence upon us. And yet, Lord, I ask, we pray, Father, that we would still know that there's transformation, this otherworldly transformation that occurs through the renewal of our minds. Oh, God, make us a people committed to the renewal of our minds,